welcome to Let's Talk Records. Um, we have myself, Jen Evans, and um, Emily McLeod, as usual. Mm-hmm. And then joined by us today is my little brother, Matt Evans. Hey, Matt. Woo-hoo! I am so excited to be here, guys. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> Thank you for being here. So exciting. I've, I've like really been looking forward to this. Oh, that makes I'm me so, so happy. <laughs> That's awesome. To to preface this relationship, I feel like um, he's a little bit of your younger brother, too. Um, I was thinking about it, and I've only known Matt for uh, a couple months more than I've known you for. Matt was born in July, and I met you in September. Isn't that crazy? That's really fucked up. (laughs) (laughs) That is crazy. Isn't that crazy? And then, like... To a certain extent, I've kind of known both of you for the same exact amount of time. I mean, pretty much. Yes. Yeah. Or what you'd remember. I do but remember. Yeah, what I can rem- when my memory starts, like you guys were both there. So. Yeah. I do remember Matt being like a baby and throwing up Cheerios in your dairy house. <laughs> I remember that. I'm like, this family throws up a lot. <laughs> I don't Class think I say vomiters, right? I don't think I was thinking that, but, <laughs> but it's true. It's like one of my memories. Yep. And we've come yeah. such a long way. Here I we remember. are. So Matt, what album did you bring us? Uh, so today I guys, I brought you El Camino by the Black Keys. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it came out just about 10 years ago now they just yeah. i think they just announced a 10-year like anniversary tour essentially for oh, it cool um because that was it was kind of like the coming out party for them that was the album that really announced them to the world mm-hmm. and turned them into kind of like the royalty of of rock that they are now because mm-hmm. they were one of like the, the first really big underground rock bands to go to like the very top mm-hmm. um and this was the album that did it for them. So I think for a lot of people, me included, it very much forms like my early opinions of music on my own. Mm, because okay. when when I like first, so I remember like it came, so it came out in 2011 and 2012 was when I got my first smartphone. I had never had a phone up until that point. And I remember I got my first phone um, the summer before high school. And when with that came like Spotify and streaming and all that stuff. And up until that point, my experience with music was more or less what Jen played in the car when I was growing <laughs> up. Um, because front seat always got ox. And I mean, like six years older, you always got the front seat. Um, so a lot of it, like I grew up was like the silver chair and like newfound glory. And I think for a long time, I didn't like that stuff. So when I first got a phone, I was listening to every single possible thing I could all over the spectrum. And then I, I kind of stumbled upon this. Mm. And as a result, I think it really influenced a lot of what I listened to from that day forward. Um, yeah. Because it was something new, it was something I hadn't heard before. And it was something that I really, really loved. And in turn, I kind of seeked out more stuff like that and in that vein. And I find like a lot of the stuff I listen to now can definitely be traced back to like this one particular album. Mm, Um, Yes. The other thing I I think is really cool to point out is the Black Keys 
are probably the most successful two-man band of our era. Mm. Um, there's I not... will contest that. Okay, so so one, one of them. One of them. Yeah. Um, I think we can both agree that there's not a lot of two-man outfits no. that have gone to where they have. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah. Nope. I can think of one right, other. Right. Well, so the ones that I came up with that I listened to a lot today, um, guys like Royal Blood, one of my like really, really favorites, two guys, um, Blue Stones, again, like two guys. And a lot of them have like the same really raw quality that I think the Black Keys inspired in so many people. Like it's that same underground rock to an extent. Um, so I, I find that I end up listening to a lot of these these bands and i'll get like really into a band and i'll look into them and be like oh like it's just two guys that's really interesting <laughs> um but yeah no so i, I like I, I can definitely trace back a lot of the stuff now that i listen to to that um and them to a larger extent because once i mean el camino is a gateway drug mm-hmm. there's so much stuff that happened before el camino that nobody really knows about because they were underground i mean they they toured in a van for 10 years playing small, small, small clubs until Brothers came out in 2009. And that really got them buzzing. And then El Camino comes out, it debuts at number two, and they sold out Madison Square Garden in five minutes. 15. 15, 15. But that's insane still. It's still crazy. That's crazy. (laughs) Um, Like, really cool to see, like, those two guys. And they just grinded and grinded and grinded. And like that same soul that kept them going endlessly mm-hmm. for 10 years is what got them to where they were. And like, it's still what they have now. And El Camino was their seventh album. That was I, so crazy for me to, to, I was like, what? Yeah. I had no idea, but I want to make it clear to everyone stumbling upon the Black Keys for the first time, myself included. This is not an overnight sensation. These two men toured in vans worked odd jobs and had to wait until their sixth and seventh album to get to a point where this was globally famous mm-hmm. it's it's really crazy to listen to something like this and like like i fell in love with el camino when i first heard it and then go back and realize that that they hadn't really evolved up until that point the production value was better the equipment was better but it was the same thing that they were doing in 2002, 2003. Just more people happened to hear it in 2009. And then it takes off and everybody was excited for, for 2011. So it, it's just crazy to see. It really was just hard work. And one of the other cool points in one of the videos that you had sent, Jen, they were in, it was something like 200 commercials in the span of like yes. a year and a half. They, I mean, they, they say they sold out, but like, I think like that's, that's what allowed people to hear them. them. So it's like, even for people who don't like, uh, don't like rock music or say they don't, you know, who only listen to rap or only listen to pop, whatever it is, they've still heard it, whether they recognize it or not, because they saw that one Hyundai commercial or that one, like it. They were everywhere, everywhere in, in yeah. like all the commercials, a ton of movies. So like whether you actively follow that music or that band at all, you've heard them. Yeah. Like whether, whether you know Lonely Boy is Lonely Boy, it doesn't matter. You've heard it and mm-hmm. you know it. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's it's just crazy how many people have heard this and don't know they've actually heard it. Mm-hmm. And this is a callback to early 2000s music. I feel like at that point, 2002, 2003, 2004, we were hearing more music like this on the radio. And then when this came in 2011, it was kind of interesting because that stuff had moved on. Early 2000s, I'm referring to Jet, um, Mm -hmm. the Fratellis, um, the Strokes, that kind of rock and roll indie glory age that came upon that time. They were almost like 10 years too late to that, but Mm -hmm. it- it's okay. It still worked, but I feel like all of that stuff had to walk so this could run. And then (laughs) there are things that I see now that I feel like are running because of them. And one of those that comes to mind, especially with the car commercial and looking at how music is licensed in commercial ways is ex ambassadors. Mm. Everyone has heard, heard renegades, but I feel like they're 10 years later, they're kind of doing what the black keys were doing at this point. So it's an interesting kind of phenomena to look at this whole album promotion release everything this year of 2011 and 2012 for the black keys it's it was definitely kind of like a little down period for rock on the charts but like those early 2010s arctic monkeys am hadn't hit yet that didn't Mm -hmm. come for another three years there there wasn't a ton of big rock um yeah no because no, no. At that at that point, rock was kind of dominated by bands like Coldplay and yeah. the Killers, and they they weren't making what the Black Keys make. Um, no, but the but Killers were, aren't like, too they're, far off. They're kind no, of in the I, middle like, of the Black Keys and Gaga. <laughs> it, that's an yeah, interesting yeah, one no. to consider. Um, so, like like a lot of those bands, there was definitely a niche. Yeah, and the Black Keys, I think, just. I mean, 10 years into what they were doing just happened to hit it at the right time. I sincerely think that this album hit it so big because they promoted it in genius ways and in the right ways and relentlessly. There was a lot of careful decisions with this. There was a lot of risks taken that ended up paying off. And there was some accidents that happened that ended up paying off in some like viralness. And it was kind of a mix of like hard work, good planning, good marketing, and luck. Absolutely. Um, like Lonely Boy, that that guy that's in the Lonely Boy video is like so famous for me specifically. Cause like I said, like that was when I first got a phone. Mm-hmm. So that was when I first discovered like Instagram and Vine and all of that yes. other stuff. He he was like one of the first big viral things. Yeah, he I like remember. blew up. Yeah. 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 Um, so like, which is funny because I didn't listen to, to the Black Keys until just about a year after this album came out. I think it was mm-hmm. like late 2012 where I really discovered them. But I knew who the Lonely Boy guy was. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, I knew so I knew funny. the guy, you know, doing the dance. Um, <laughs> so definitely like they and I don't know if they really meant that to go viral or not, but it did. No. So where did you find the Black Keys? Because I actually don't know the answer to this question. So I remember it was, uh, I think it was winter vacation of my my freshman year of high school. So it would have been like December. And I remember I was at my friend's house and we were in the basement playing Call of Duty. Um, <laughs> and it would always be like we had we had two TVs set up. It was the golden age. Like we would just, we would just sit down there and like, it's going to sound so disgusting now because it is. 
but we would drink Mountain Dew and eat Doritos until we couldn't breathe. And we would always, <laughs> like, we we had two TVs. We were both playing on our own TV. I would bring my Xbox over, and we would always be playing music the entire time we were playing. And I remember the first song I ever heard by the Black Keys was Gold on the Ceiling. And I remember hearing the opening riff while I was playing, and I, I like, immediately was like, what song is this? And I, I immediately searched it on Spotify, saved it. Um, and it was like literally that one riff at the beginning of one song was yep. all it took for me. And I remember it so like viscerally just hearing that and like the, the reaction I had was just like, this is awesome. Oh, that's um, such a good feeling. Like, that's a lot of music. You have an emotional reaction to. I don't really know if it's an emotion, um, but you're just like, this kicks. Mm-hmm. You're like yep. this, this absolutely rips. Um, mm-hmm. and you just have to take note of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and to this day, like that's a song I listen to so often just because I don't know if I've ever found anything that matches that riff for me. And like that, wow. that one raw, just like, there's no emotion for it. it's just awesome yeah oh I love that you know it's funny it's just making me think like when we asked you what album you wanted to bring and you just were so definitive and I <laughs> right was like, like my reaction was like shit like that like is someone who really knew what they wanted to talk about yeah you know? and it's you're our third guest And each time I love hearing just how passionate people are about music and how every person articulates it in such a different way. And I love that, like, we had you bring an album because it's just great to hear, like, what that discovery was like for you and, like, what this album means to you. So, yeah, yeah, it's just it's cool. I relate to that on so many levels. Finding finding the Black Keys, finding El Camino was such like an architectural moment for me and it, it, I feel like it largely built my listening patterns today and like largely yeah. affected everything I, I listen to now it's um, so crazy because I think happens. like we all we all are attached to the, the first music that we find on our own yes yes yep um and I feel like that's that's part of the reason why I'm so tied to that mm-hmm. I think it's cool um to see something that's come from you and mm-hmm. to kind of go through this experience and think like, wow, this meant a lot to Matt. Like I, I am finding my yeah. own ties, but like, that's so cool. But like, this is his thing. And I, I love that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's so cool. And just like, what a cool band and album that you picked. Like, I think cool is a really good word for it. Under, like some, it's some things under are just selling cool. them. <laughs> it yeah. is. There's They're not, cool. Yeah. Yeah. So on that note, I want to step it back and talk about the two men that make up the Black Keys because they're almost not cool <laughs> in real life. <laughs> and I think that's the best part. It's the dichotomy between who they are in real life and the music they're putting out. And oh my God, is it a difference? So we have Dan Auerbach and Patrick Carney. Patrick Carney plays the drums. Dan Auerbach plays a guitar and sings. I believe they both write together and produce together, um, multi-talented musicians. Um, and they're from Akron, Ohio. So they're Midwest, um, which is funny. I don't know where I'd place. Well, I guess this music more than anything is Southern rock to me. Mm-hmm. It's not Definitely. West coast. It's not Midwest. It's not East coast. It's Southern rock. And they do have a lot of ties to Nashville, Tennessee, but they came from Akron, Ohio. So 
I, I feel like they've said as much themselves that a lot of the people that they are like heavily, heavily influenced by the guys that they grew up listening to. Um, I know one that they really specifically point out is Isaac Hayes. Mm-hmm. Like that is, that is Southern blues, heavy rock. Yes. Um, and I like, that's not something that really people listen to a lot in the mainstream anymore. Um, and like, I, again, I feel like that's just another hole that they kind of filled for people. Yeah, it is an interesting concept to to bring a genre of music to mainstream. I'm anxious to talk about the songs because there's so much that I want to say, because I definitely was more song heavy uh, than I was in the history and like all of that. But there's a particular song in the album where I was like, man, this is classic blues. Like mm-hmm. this is just sad singing into a microphone blues but it is great how like you're right they were able to bring something that no one was hearing like the artists that influenced them and make it listenable to people who have no idea who those artists are absolutely and i think too like if you were listening to like the mainstream rock stations in the early 2010s the the black keys kind of pop out with what they have and everybody just kind of at the same time was like yeah like this this was missing Mm -hmm. um like like welcome back it's it's good to have you back and i think that's part of what propelled them so far in the first place and especially on this album so i have a couple more things to say um and i think this kind of leads into a little bit further into how not only the Black Keys have influenced people that have come after them, but they've worked with so many people in the industry because these two men are like powerhouses on their own. Um, very Jack Antonoff-like in the way that they're doing their own music, but they're working on a million projects. Um, Dan Auerbach does a lot of producing and he's worked with Cage the Elephant and Lana Del Rey and CeeLo Green. Um, and he's just, you know, he's kind of everywhere. He does his own solo stuff. Um, but he is very big in the industry. And then Patrick Carney, same thing. He works with a lot of different um, artists. What has brought him into my peripheral vision um, is the fact that he's married to Michelle Branch. And they met while working on her 2017 album, Hopeless Romantic, which always, it didn't fall short with me, but I never quite got it. And then I listened to this album for this podcast And then I was like, hmm, wait a second. I'm going to go back and give that a try. And I could not believe how much the pieces clicked together at that point. Because it was like, okay, if you you understand what the Black Keys are doing and where Patrick Carney comes from, you're going to like Hopeless Romantic so much more. And I thought that was really interesting. So that's homework for both of you is to go check out that album. Emily, I know you're very familiar with her. Matt is not. So I always see like, bits and pieces of his personality through her social media. Um, and he, he's a straight up weirdo. He used to have an Instagram where he'd make these like salads and he'd just throw a bunch of things in a bowl and be like, it's this salad today. It's this salad. And they were just fucking disgusting concoctions. That's so weird. So they're weirdos. And I, I kind of, as I did more research about this album, I was like, okay, they're weirdos. Like they're, they're kind of goofy. They don't take themselves too seriously. Like, it's very interesting to see those personalities. Um, They had filmed a Masterclass parody, which is really funny to me because in all reality, they're so successful and smart and talented that they could be teaching Masterclass. 
but they went through and just like parodied it and where it's like look at how important we are look at these expensive guitars and just did it all deadpan and it was hilarious but they're silly to their core and i kind of like that they're like the music is so cool but they're maybe not necessarily like too cool for school in real life they're like the people in high school that are like extremely talented and you're just like wow i need to talk to that person you could talk to them and they just talk to you about like the nerdiest (laughs) shit and not about music at all they're not like trash hotel rock stars yeah yeah Mm -hmm. and i like that i think it's cool it makes them a little bit more approachable and makes i can't even explain how but it makes me able to buy into it more Mm mm-hmm because I'm not like, oh, these pompous assholes are just playing this music that's like, I, you know, I'm not cool enough to understand or to get. Like, right. I think it's funny. And just how commercially successful they are, seeing how ridiculous they are, there's something so just that, that sweetens the deal for me. Mm-hmm. There's the, I don't know if you guys have seen it. There's a really, really funny video they just did for their new album because when they, they, they recently took like a three year break. And there was this huge rumor floating around, like Dan and Patrick hate each other. They're never going to talk again. They're like mortal enemies at this point. Like it took a toll on them. They hate each other. And then the first, the first video for the first single in this new album was them going to couples therapy. <laughs> I, just, I just think it's really funny how plugged in they are. Yes. To, to anything that's going on. Um, and I, I just like, I don't think there's a lot of people these days that have that Mm self-awareness that can like take a step back and just like really laugh at themselves. Yes. Um, And I think that comes through in their music. They make it because they think it's good. Mm -hmm. It is. And everything about the way that they interact with their music and put it out into the world also reflects on that. I mean, we have the cover, there's a a beat up old wood sided minivan and they named the fucking album El Camino because I thought it was so funny to put the name came first, but they thought it was so funny to just put the van on. They were talking to Dan's brother, who is their art director. And uh, Dan's brother was like, OK, you're going to call it El Camino, this like old muscle car. Like people are just going to expect a picture of an El Camino on the on the tra- uh, cover like. You know, in Spanish, it also means like the journey or the path. Like, what do we want to do with this? And they were like, yeah, but wouldn't it be funny if there like wasn't an El Camino and there was something just like really disgust, like a disgusting car. And the art director was just like, okay, cool. What, what did you tour in when you guys were like really roughing it? And they were like this, and it's like an old Plymouth minivan and it doesn't, it doesn't match at all. And it's, it's it's a disgusting car. It's disgusting. It's a relic. It's disgusting. Yeah. It's a relic. Yeah. But the best part is commit to the bit when they were releasing the album, they put out a, um, a fake car commercial with Bob Odenkirk from um, Breaking Bad and Don't Call Saul. Um, and then they did a fake newspaper article with a phone number. And if you called the phone number, it was Patrick Carney, like saying, um, I think it was like, go to this website or something for the car. And then they bought this URL and I can't remember what the URL was, but it was like, want to buy a van.com or something like totally general. And you went to the URL and it was like this, this ad for this car. And they were just like trying to sell the car. They were just like ready to drive, like beat up old, whatever radio works, like come by, pick it up. So that was kind of the whole thing when they were releasing this album is they just were ridiculous about it. And then on the flip side, 
we start to see them consciously do a little bit of the cool guy thing, but I don't hate it. They decided that for this release, they were going to control press outlet. And the only way to hear it was they'd have to invite journalists one at a time for a one-time listen. They had to listen to it in their manager's office. They did not send out like press kits. People had to go and like be approved to listen to this album. (laughs) Um, And then for this cycle, they decided that they wanted to be really conscious about who they licensed songs to. Whereas, you know, the last album they had licensed a bunch and we kind of get the sellout thing. They were super conscious about licensing music for this. They knew this was the way they were going to make money. And at the, at this point they were hesitant to put it on streaming because it was so early. It was really a burden to put it on streaming. You weren't really going to make money. So they were like, okay, well license. So they were ESPN's band of the month for December. And this album was released December 6, 2011. So that's, in, I mean, however they landed that one was genius because that's a giant kickstart. Um, they were on MLB 12, the show. I don't know if you remember that, Matt. <laughs> yeah, and no, then, I remember playing that and I remember <laughs> the Black Keys would come on. Yeah, that's why they chose that. And then they were on Army Wives on Lifetime, which I had a good laugh at. That it's just <laughs> it's something you necessarily wouldn't think about. Some like white lady <laughs> drinking wine. Honestly, it's like I'm gonna friends. drink. I'm gonna listen to that tonight when I get drunk and dance in the kitchen. <laughs> yep. Thank you, Army Wives. And, and then they did SNL on December third. So the album was released on the sixth. So this was kind of like the first big promo on the third. They did Lonely Boy and Gold on the Ceilings. They did um, a series of talk shows like immediately, and then they were um, cover story for January for Rolling Stone. Um, and immediately January, 2012 to July of 2013, they performed like a six leg or something world tour for El Camino. So again, similar to Jack Antonoff, I just feel like all of this was launched in such an intentional way. And it was like a lot of fucking work, Mm -hmm. but that's the reason why this worked. Mm -hmm. That's it. You know, that's it, it, it was calculated. It was calculated. very much. Yes. Very calculated. Um, and it got good press like that when this was coming out, this was not getting bad reviews. This was getting really good reviews. Um, one of my favorites. I am not usually a pitchfork fan. Um, so this is <laughs> not an endorsement. I just thought this was a great review. They gave them a 7.4 out of 10. And they said the riffs are glam nasty. The lyrics are sublimely <laughs> knuckleheaded. The bass lines nimble and bombastic. The mood frivolous and fun and unabashedly corny. And I mm. absolutely loved that. I think that's a great way to explain this album. Wow. It's just rock music. It's not, it's nothing crazy. Like they didn't, they didn't spend like a million years writing it. Like some people do. I feel like they kind of just threw some words together that fit a certain theme. Okay. So it's funny because I definitely went into this going like, okay, like, what am I going to talk about? Because it's like, I'm, I'm, and Jen knows this about me. I like to dive deep into what does this album mean? What does this mean? What are they trying to tell me? What is the story? And this is a breakup album. Yes. No, no, you're right. I did find that too. Okay. 
Mm-hmm. And I, definitely there's a theme. There is a there's theme. a theme. I was like, what the fuck am I gonna say about this? You know, because I'm like, I know they're like major songs, like, and I'm like, there's nothing, there's no depth to them. Like, you know right, what I mean? Right. But I like crave that, you know, like yep. that's what I like eat up. So I was so nervous. And then I like texted Jen and I was like, whoa. What I was like, that was, yeah, I was like, that was so unexpected. We were like trying to find the word. Yeah. I was, I'm way more, I w- I became way more invested than I thought I would because I started seeing this storyline and being like, wow, this is actually really interesting and really risky because you have this, like this story of vulnerability coming from a male's perspective that you really never get when it comes to heartbreak, right? You get, especially during this time period that we're talking about 2011, like males are writing about how they're pissed. They're not writing about how they're sad, lonely, like following around someone like a puppy dog and then getting their heart broken. Like that's not what men are writing about in 2011. So I was like, holy shit. Like I stepped back and I was like, I had no idea that that was, that's what was going on here. You would have no idea as just an average listener. So it's just like, you know, to be able to have such a successful album, make these bangers that are timeless, but also have a whole piece of art that sure. I mean, what's the easiest thing to write about? The easiest thing to write about is heartbreak, right? Universal experience. Absolutely. So it doesn't surprise me at all that this was written so quickly, but it yeah. was so surprising to me that it ended up being way more interesting. I a hundred percent agree with you because as soon as I started to realize, okay, Yep, this is we're like we're going through something. Mm-hmm. I got nervous and I was like, oh no, is this gonna be another like rock and roll woman hater album? Like, right. And granted, Jet Get Born is one of my favorite albums of all time. I love that album. That song, Cold Hard Bitch, is probably the reason everyone knows who Jet is. This is not that. And that's funny right. because I see the stem from that time period and you know, them in particular, but I was so relieved and so interested to like read into these songs and be like, wow, I actually don't hate the female protagonist. Mm -hmm. Like even though he's the protagonist, I'm like, oh, I, I'm not supposed to hate her as an audience. Like, this is cool. They're not writing about her. Like this heartless, stupid bitch is ruining my life. That was very unexpected. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I also got something like really similar. I was like, I like the entire time I've listened to this album in, you know, eight years, I've never gone through all of the lyrics. Any anytime it comes on, I always just know like, oh, I'm a lonely boy. I've never gone deeper than that. Mm-hmm. And I was going through and like the only thing I saw, and I feel like I saw it in every single song, was just like pining after somebody who either isn't worth it or you know it's a bad idea or you know it's going to end badly Mm -hmm. but you're still you're still just you're just going for it it's just such an unoriginal theme like we've seen it a million times and I think it's It's really funny exactly and I feel like it's really funny that such an old theme is going with music yeah 
that's so influenced by stuff that came before. Right. Yeah. Well, when, okay, let's go back to blues for a second. That's exactly what blues is. That's what it is. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> like a man, very little like music happening, a guitar, maybe some drums, two people in a band singing about heartbreak, usually drunk. That's it. Yeah. That's literally all it is. Yeah. A, a certain part of me definitely thinks that it was like they knew what they were doing. When they were hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's almost and, like following I, a template. They knew exactly what they, they were doing. And I think that it just, once you realize that, it just makes it, number one, so much more interesting to look at and realize like how how calculated it is and how purposeful it was made, mm-hmm. but also just like how funny that they must think they are. But it's smart wit. Yeah, that's what's yes. great about Absolutely. it. So we want to jump in. Yes, because that yeah. this this Let's conversation about our... leads right into points of lonely voice. So this is a great transition. Do we want to talk about our gem? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I I'm <laughs> interested to see if any of us match my. So my gem, and I, it's one of my favorite songs ever is uh little black submarines that's my gem too that's mine too (laughs) (laughs) i kind of wondered if this would happen oh my god i love that i can i can probably go around and say why everyone liked this song i'll let you guys do it on your own but this was a cool experience because i was like this has some it's a very special song that appeals to the likes of everyone on this zoom call (laughs) yeah yes it's true absolutely do you want to start um, I would love to start. <laughs> yeah. Great. Um, out of this entire album, it's obvious. Like we're not, we're not cracking any code. It's a very guitar-heavy, riff-heavy album. And the beginning of Little Black Submarines plays. Uh, and by this point, you've already heard Lonely Boy. You've already heard Gold in the Ceiling. You've already heard probably the two biggest riffs on the album. Um. And it starts out with that resonator. And first off, I want to say, I think that's my favorite use of a resonator in any song ever made. I don't know if I've ever heard it like they use it. And so that that first off, just like it kind of, it, it evokes something different than the rest of their music. Um, and then it's kind of crooning. A lot of yeah. what Dan Auerbach does in these other songs it's a lot of like very distorted vocals. Mm-hmm. You almost never get it where it's just him, mm-hmm. like raw and mm-hmm. and that's it. And so the entire first half of that song where it's just him and that resonator, and then you start to get like the kick on the bass drum. It's just way more vulnerable yeah. than yes. anything else you hear from them. I don't know if I've ever heard them at that point. And so like that, it just, it's something completely new from them. And I love that. And then like that guitar comes in. Yeah. And I feel like I could punch a brick wall. Yes. <laughs> um, it just, that, that comes on. And it's like, whenever I'm listening to that in the car, like you're singing along and my foot just gets really heavy on the gas. Yeah. There, I, I don't know if I've ever heard anything that's kind of like two, two wildly different extremes that close together. Mm, yeah, and that's that's just one. It's like it's kind of like an experience of a song. I'm convinced that this is like the perfect festival song. 
Oh yeah. Yeah. I really see that. Um, and like, I, I sent you guys that video of them playing. I think it was Lowlands. Mm-hmm. Um, oh my God. Like number yeah. one, it's hard to sound good at a festival. Number two, it's hard to sound good recorded. Number three, when you're performing new material like that, where the crowd is like, maybe not all in yet. That's also hard. Holy shit. It was a great performance. I I think what does it for me is like that really cool moment where the first half is done and he has to change instruments in, in the recorded song. I think it's like a two and a half second gap on a live performance. You're watching him take it off, walk back, put on the new guitar, check it real quick. And that's when he goes in. So there's a full like 12 or 13 second pause where everybody's like, what's happening. And then it's just, you're there. And it's yeah. just, I think that that might be like one of the coolest things ever. And if I ever get to see them at a festival, <laughs> will like you cry? That, yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, but that's my gem. That's awesome. Yeah. I yeah. similarly like definitely chose it because it stood out to me the most on the album. I, like I said earlier, crave vulnerability. Anytime you can give me something sad, I'm going to eat it up. So I was like, Ooh, this is good. And it's the only time you really get to hear his voice so clearly. There's no, like you said, Matt, there's no distortion going on. It's not clouded by anything else. It's just very crisp and right there for you. And I love that. And then I do love a good like cut to just a good breakdown. Like if you can do that well, I'm all about it. The other thing that I really loved is that beginning part of the song made me think a lot about Johnny Cash. Mm. Gave me a lot of Johnny Cash vibes. But yeah, I mean, altogether, just the way that the song is constructed. Yeah, I don't have anything else to say about it. It's it's just really good. I, I can't. Yeah, it's just it's a great song. Um, it, is, it, it's, it has legs. It does have legs. Yes. Oh, one thing that I wanted to say that I was like, I wonder if this will piss anyone off. And Matt, you were like, I don't know of any other songs that kind of do this thing where it starts off softly and then cuts to something Mm -hmm. like a harder breakdown. Immediately when I listened to this song, I thought about that and I was like, you know who else did that? Billie Eilish. (laughs) She did it in um, Happier Than Ever. <gasps> she did. Mm-hmm. You're right. Mm-hmm. It's it's such a creative concept, and if you do it, if if you like, don't put enough thought into it, or you don't execute, it just makes for a shitty song. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. All I wanted by Paramore also has a very similar structure to this, mm. and kind of desolate melancholia to it. And it, it's definitely just like a little bit different with them just because of how dirty they are. Yeah, how, well, that's the Southern Rock coming raw. through. But I think what does it for me is that that dirtiness of the Southern Rock. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's, you're right. There is something about the the Southern Rock, that rough callus that makes it this certain way. And um, I think that's powerful. What, what an they awesome should. song. Yeah. And great video too. They filmed it at a... Um, a dive bar in Nashville called the Springwater Supper Club. It's like this tiny place. And I was reading that it was only, so they invited like some Black Keys fans. They invited them for this one song to film the video. They finished and they said, fuck it, want to play a show? And they just like played a show for these people. So I kind of love that. The energy is great. 
the dive bar is divey. It's a live video, but I, um, I didn't mind it. And the way they shot it, it was definitely shot on vintage film. And I, I definitely think they knew when they made this, that this was going to be an awesome live song. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. And I think it, it was made that way. And I think that's also why the video was like that because they wanted people to know that this song was, was made live and like, that's Ooh. where it's made to be. Mm-hmm. Fuck. Yeah. Oh, fuck. <laughs> yeah. What an easy and efficient gem when we all choose the same. One. <laughs> I love that. Oh my God. Well, so the album starts off with lonely boy, which is such a good heavy hitter song to just like, yeah pull you right in i love when albums do that we talk about it all the time have a good first song that's gonna just carry you through the rest of it so it sets the tone really well i agree i intro songs on an album i feel like that will often make or break the whole album for me is that intro i thought this was the perfect one there wasn't anything else that i thought could sit in its place better than this Mm mm-hmm and I also thought it was a smart single to release. Yeah. It, it did really well as a single. And I think it's also probably fair to say that it's probably, I think it's probably their biggest song. Mm-hmm. Um, it's their top stre- song on Spotify. I was about to say, and it's not even really close. It's by like 50 million streams. It has almost 400 million streams on Spotify. Wow. Um, and I feel like out of all the songs I've heard by the Black Keys in popular media, I feel like this one's popped up the most. And yeah. I feel like mm-hmm. if you were to play any Black Keys song for somebody, you probably start with Lonely Boy because I think that's it's one of the best encapsulations of what they are at their peak. It's classic. Like, exactly. Yeah. It's it's so it's so accessible. Um, because I feel like a lot of people don't latch on to blues uh yeah. influenced rock very easily. It's so accessible and I feel like everybody's already heard it. Yeah. And in the first 10 seconds, you know exactly what you're in for for the next hour. Mm-hmm. Like yes. you know yep. exactly what you're getting. Yeah. Like that riff pops in and then that bass drum starts kicking. And you know exactly what you're getting. Yeah. And I think that is, it's just so cool to set the tone so quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Like that, that's, that's so cool. I think Patrick Carney sometimes gets a lot of flack for maybe not being the best drummer. And I was listening to this and I was like, his, his drumming like powers that song. He is such an expressive drummer. Absolutely. Like you can hear how much he's working. Like it's all elbows. It's all knees. It's all just like effort. Like he, you can hear the effort he's putting in. Like you can hear the labor. Um, And it just like, I feel like introducing that so early in the very first song uh, is exactly what I want from them because that's what I love about them. I love, I love that you can hear the effort they put into their music. (laughs) And here's the thing when it comes to this type of drumming, is it's meant to be sloppy. Yes. It's yep. meant Absolutely. to be it's meant to be beach boy, surf, rocky, rockabilly. It's just, yeah, it's literally just slapping. It's just right. slapping to get a beat. And there's nothing wrong with that because you need that power behind it to go along with your guitar riffs, to go along with the type of emotion and the type of feeling you're trying to invoke in your listener. If I was sitting there listening to the song being like and so much shit was going on in the background with the drums i'd be like focused on that not on like you got to carry someone through the song i agree with you because that's really isn't that all art that there's a reason that everyone has a different style and everyone is good at different things because a speed metal drummer isn't going to perform the same way that patrick carney is because yeah 
they're going to have much more of an issue being loose and letting go of that, right? One of the reasons I like them is because how perfect they are for each other. Yes. Um, yeah. Like it really is. And I think it's really funny too to, to point out that Patrick Carney, when they first started, like they, when they first like playing together in the basement, they both played guitar. And then it got to a point where they wanted to do something. And Patrick was like, wait a second. Dan is so much better than me at guitar. I can't play guitar. What am I going to do? And he just like had a drum set and like could kind of drum. And I feel like that's the same thing now. Like he could kind of drum then he can kind of drum now. <laughs> and it's and fine. He, yeah. He makes the same joke all the time. Like he's the second best guitarist in his own band. Um, <laughs> so like, I mean, he didn't, it, it just kind of happened that way. And the other thing that I think really comes through in the song is you immediately see how much Dan Auerbach loves, as we said, those distorted vocals. Yeah. Um, especially in the chorus, whatever effect they have on his voice, there's also like background singers and it just makes it sound so much bigger than it is. Mm. He's one guy and it, it just sounds, it's, it's, like it's such a big sound. I don't think there's any other word for it than just big. Yeah. yeah. Like it's so, it's so much more than one person. It's grand. That's a great word for it. Um, they like, they show everything on this. It's like the drums, the guitar, like the riffs, the big sound, everything. Mm -hmm. And it's like, they lay it flat out and it's awesome to see it all at once. And I think that's part of the reason why that's probably their biggest song. And it's Mm -hmm. honest and it's playful. And it's, it's almost like showing your work because it's so experimental. And I enjoy that. Absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) Great song. It is a great one. Um, and then we lead into Dead and Gone, which kind of brings you down a little bit. So we are not getting the same like energy from Lonely Boy in Dead and Gone. Like it definitely is like you're still getting Black Keys. It just to me was not. It didn't carry really like. You can already tell I'm not a huge fan of this this song. <laughs> Let's just get that out there. But it's not lonely boy. It's not lonely boy. Um, but it's necessary. It's necessary. And I will something you said earlier, Jen, about like when we were talking about the theme of the album being a heartbreak album and like how the power was given back to like the woman in this. There's a really great line in this song that I really do enjoy. Um, where he says, Don't call me, I'll call you is what you say, and I'll obey. And I love that. Yeah. I was like, oh, that's so cute. You know, like that's such a typical line that you hear. Don't call me, I'll call you. And we get a a mention about waiting, which is for me, that was a callback to Lonely Boy. And as we go through the album, there's a lot. The word waiting is used a lot, which I thought was kind of thematically cool because it does tie to everything. But we get a direct callback to Lonely Boy. Like this this character is being referenced. And I think that's cool that we're almost able to follow the storyline that way. Mm, that's true. I didn't even pick up on that. So I, I definitely didn't focus nearly as much on the lyrics for most of this. Um, I definitely have a couple picks here and there, but none of, none of it really stood out to me, especially in this song. Yeah. Um, I think the, song, the thing I like the most in the song is like the bells. Mm-hmm. They do it a couple oh, yeah. times in the album. Um, and I feel like it's just a really cool, subtle use of bells. They kind of tone down the guitar a little bit and they put those bells in there. Um, and it's kind of like a, a nice little 
I definitely get what you guys are saying. It's like a down song and it definitely is. It doesn't have the same power. It doesn't have the same loudness. It's really tough to pick a song to sandwich in between yeah. your two, the two biggest hits you've ever written. Yeah, yep. it's a necessary lull. I agree. But then we got gold on the ceiling, number three. So before we do that, I want to jump back to the Lonely Boy video. This one is just really interesting. So I definitely wanted to talk about it. So they had filmed a whole high budget video for this song. And they said, they don't say what they were trying to do, but they said, we were trying to make something work and it was supposed to be funny. And then we finished the video and it wasn't. So like (laughs) we scrapped the whole thing and kept the clip of um, this part-time actor and security guard, Derek T. Tuggle dancing. And they made that into the video and their label was like, please don't, please think about this, please. And they were like, fuck it. It's hilarious. We love his little smooth moves dance. And then they released it and it got 400 million fucking views in the first 24 hours and went absolutely viral and is a big part of why this album is why we're talking about it right now. For a while, I think this actually held the record for most views in the first 24 hours of a music video. I believe That's it. crazy. I, it, it ended, I think it ended up taking like four or five years until Rihanna came out with some some song. But I, I think this held that record for a really long time. That's amazing. Oh my God. Wow. And they brought him back to film like a commercial for the 10-year um, El Camino re-release last year. And I thought that was so nice that they have this great relationship. I think that's so cool. <laughs> I was very wholesome. I was watching this on YouTube and I love every once in a while to like jump into the comment section. So I jumped into the comment section. (laughs) Someone wrote, someone wrote, wherever this man is now, I wish him well. (laughs) I was just like, (laughs) yes, because you just care about him. You You do. And they did too. And I love that. They, yeah. they gave him this. He's literally, he, well, at the time he was a part-time actor and security guard and they like, what the fuck is better? I mean, they didn't plan on it going viral. That was just an extra treat, but he got to like put this in his reel and say that he was in a black keys video. He was the black keys video. It was only yeah, him. He was, he was the video. Yeah. yeah. And then he went viral. That's yeah. nuts. He, I hope he got money from that. Like, oh, I'm sure he did. Because they brought him back. I don't think, I think if it was a sour deal and he felt like he got nothing out of it, he wouldn't have come back last year. Yeah. So I think they set him up well. And like, that was almost bigger than them for a second. Yes. Oh, yeah. People who didn't know the Black Keys like knew who the Lonely Boy guy was. Even if they didn't know he was the Lonely Boy guy, they knew this guy, like, just dancing just vibing (laughs) you know he was just vibing oh my god such a good point that's so wild how that blew up warner was so nervous i can't imagine like being an exec that was like fuck we just you know threw away thousands of dollars on the shoot and these two idiots are gonna put this other idiot on the internet as a representation for their first single like that it's Mm -hmm. their first single like they're really fucking around fuck around and find out (laughs) and it worked like i i just love to see that boardroom the next day (laughs) (laughs) the whole thing is ridiculous 
and they trolled everyone on a, a very important album launch and release and risked a fuck ton of money under mm-hmm. the guise of Warner Records. Mm-hmm. And it worked. <laughs> and the internet just picked it up. Agreed. Because the internet's a weird place. <laughs> yeah, it really is. <laughs> Oh, geez. Um, so number three is Gold on the Ceiling. Second single. Yeah. Also a banger. Yeah. This makes me feel like I'm headed into like a dark, cramped club. And the ones I specifically thought about was Paradise Rock Club on a packed night where you're heading through that first hallway of all the posters and it's dark and you're just like trying to get in there. And the second one I thought of was Subterranean in Chicago where Matt and I saw Against the Current. It's literally, it almost felt like it goes out of Harry Potter. You walk into this place, you go up a staircase. It's very narrow. You go into the venue and it's like, (laughs) it's like an alleyway inside and it's got a top balcony. And then you go down the stairs and it's got a bottom and it's so narrow and small that the performers, their green room is at the top of the, like, this is like a two floor venue with the open ceiling. Their green room is at the top and there's a tiny spiral staircase that goes onto the stage. And oh that's God. how they have to get onto the stage and off of the stage. And that it is so cool. It's like walking into the foyer of a house, but you don't leave the foyer. Like that's the <laughs> yeah, entire yeah, yeah. house. It was, yeah. I love that. The craziest place I've ever been. It was really cool. The song makes me think of a strip club. I also agree with that. <laughs> yeah. If I was I a stripper, agree. this would be my strip song. <laughs> That's, That's all I can think about. Would you and would you wear gold? 100%. It has yeah. to be gold and black. When I listen to the song, I just imagine a whole strip routine that I don't yeah. know how to do. I'm but- sure someone's done it, though. But I'm that's sure. it. That's all I can think about the whole time. But it's so good. Yeah. Yeah. But, Great what, song. but what is gold on the ceiling? What does that mean? I want to know, too. Does anyone know? Mm-mm. This this is like maybe the only song on the entire album where like I looked at the lyrics and I was like, I really don't understand what they're talking about. Like everything else was like this guy is getting his heart broken and it's being ripped out of his chest. And, yeah. and this one's kind of like gold on the ceiling. What like? What is he talking about? I don't this know. This song's all metaphors. I don't know what that means, but one of the things that I picked out was clouds covered love's barbed wired fence. Mm. I fucking loved that. That's a good, that's a really because, good Because, like, if you're literally thinking of clouds covering a barbed wire fence, you're not going to see the barbed wire. Right. You're going to just grab onto it. Yeah. So I thought that was great. So gold on the ceiling, is it's got to be a metaphor. I just don't know. You're just like reaching for something. Maybe you don't realize the ceiling is there. I don't. But then he says, ain't got no, ain't, I ain't got no blood in my eye or something. Gold on the ceiling. I'm going, I'm like, I'm so high, whether that's for drugs or just like emotionally, like I'm going to reach the gold on the ceiling. Someone's trying to steal it, knock me down. Uh, Or steal my, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I guess, I mean, this is one of those songs where it's like, you know, take a step away from like it, from it lyrically and just appreciate it for yeah. the masterpiece it is, you yeah. know? And it's it just- It might just be abstract painting, right? Yeah, like exactly. It's just, yeah. it's good. It's a really good bop. Mm. Yeah. Um, it's a, a groove, a jam. I, I think this is like 
kind of in the same vein as Lonely Boy for me. Obviously, it's, yes. it's probably yeah. their second biggest commercial song. Um, but it's it for me, it's like this is probably the best riff on the entire album, the best guitar work. Yeah. It's probably yeah. their most like uh, again, it's probably hookiest. Like, exactly. I think it's their catchiest. It's like the easily the easiest somebody can get into the black keys is by hearing this song. And, and like, that's like why me, like I, I thought heard this should have been and I was in. That's why I thought this should have been the first single. I definitely like I, I don't think there was a wrong way to do it. I could see why you would say that. I definitely can. Um, for me, this is just like it's just the perfect rock song. Mm-hmm. It has it has everything that I want out of this kind of music. This is the reason I listen to this music, mm-hmm. so I can listen to loud guitars and loud drums and, and a little bit of seventy loud... synth in the beginning. Yeah, I that <laughs> organ sounds like it was hooked up to a car battery. It is really. It fucking really might have been. They're so experimental. Cool sound. Yeah. Who knows what they were actually running in the studio? They like based beat it on up the fact before they played it. They could it's, have. It's crunchy. It is crunchy. Yes. You, you can feel the organ. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. Awesome. It's really, really cool. I don't know if I've ever heard an organ like that anywhere else. It could be because no. it's broken, but some people use broken <laughs> tools in in ways that work. Like they're they're like, yes, I like that this is fucking broken. Like yeah. I like that. This they is... definitely just like put so many effects on everything they do, whether it's their million pedals on their guitar, yeah, or like the million different effects on that weird microphone that Dan always uses, um, or this goddamn weird organ. Yeah, uh, there, there's just effects everywhere, um, and I think everything that is in this song just makes it so dirty and so like approachably mean. It's like grit. It is. it is gritty, it's, it's yeah. Gritty, gritty. It's, it goes so hard. Mm-hmm. It does. Great it's, song. It's it's one of my favorite songs, and it, it really is just like the perfect rock song for me. It's everything I want. <laughs> I love when there's songs like that where there's just like no disappointment. You know, you're just like yeah. You can just hold it in your hand. Ugh. One of one yeah. of the words I have written down in my notes for this song is literally just like wow. Yeah. It's just That's, wow. Yeah. Um, yes. That song was made to like just like blast and and nothing matters and that's that's what you get i'm not looking forward <laughs> to talking about the video for okay this. let's talk about the official video and then we can talk about the harmony karen video so the official video was their webster hall new york city release show as well as some footage of them recording in the studio great good cool yeah anyone have any thoughts about that no <laughs> I mean, it's just a live video. Yeah, and it's, we've yeah. seen it's it a million really cool. times. Yeah. All right, I let me start this discussion. Okay. So they, <laughs> the look on both of your faces. Um, so they did a second video for Gold on the Ceiling with um, experimental filmmaker, contemporary artist, and skateboarder Harmony Karen. Harmony Karen is a very, very controversial person in the art world. Um, it was a very interesting choice to work with him and to let him do that. Um, This is another aspect that it's very clear that they don't give a shit what people think about them um, because he, Harmony Corinne's work is so controversial that he absolutely disgusts a lot of people and alienates a lot of people from his work. Um, a lot of his work is 
Uh, it's like wayward aesthetics and backwoods surrealism. That's, I thought that was such a perfect explanation for what he does. He works with a lot of subject matter that's uh, also gritty, um, but it's his characters and his concepts can be really like fucked up. And um, uh, there's a lot of like disturbed kind of imagery and characters in his work and um, deformity and perversion. And he's, he's had his own demons throughout the years. Um, and he's a very, very interesting guy. Um, <laughs> and I could not find how the hell that they were linked together, but I'm guessing this is just kind of an industry. Someone knew someone. Um, I don't think that they were necessarily fans of his because usually people that are working with Harmony Corinne are very um, loud about the fact that they want to work with him because they have been fans of his since the 90s when some of his most, um, I don't want to say popular, known movies uh, came out. They never said this. The way that they regarded him in interviews was... Um, <laughs> They just let him do it. Dan Auerbach actually said, it's for whatever music we want to put it to. So when this was done, it wasn't necessarily for gold on the ceiling. Um, pretty much, we just let Harmony get self-indulgent and do his thing. It's weird. And the premise of the video is Dan and Patrick are strapped via faux baby borns to giant doppelgangers of themselves. Um, who were portrayed by Belmont basketball players. I thought that was pretty funny um, with definitely uncanny lifelike masks on. Um, and it's footage of these four characters interacting in really bizarre ways. And the, the film, the footage is, um, it's very choppy and you get a lot of, things where they were working with a still image or like one frame or two frames and um, almost boomeranging. And that's kind of how this video went. He chopped up the music as well. So it's not like you're listening to the song in its entirety and you're getting weird words thrown across the screen. And at the very end, um, we get a cameo by the ATL twins who uh, ended up working with Harmony Corinne for 2013 Spring Breakers. Um, and they were kind of a a um an interest picked up by vice at that time there are two twins that do exactly the same things they sleep in the same bed they pretty much live as one person and they're so desperate to get art at that point they were so desperate to get famous and get attention and live the big life um so i think that's why they were in there was they were i think at one point they were kind of a bit of a muse for harmony corinne so he threw them in there as someone who <laughs> studied a lot of contemporary art and has been forced to watch and look at things that are uncomfortable and weird. Um, I kind of fucking love things like this. When I watch things like this, people are, you know, when you see something like this, that's so outlandish and uncomfortable and weird and dirty and just, oh, what am I watching? People, some people tend to get angry or some people tend to get really, really uncomfortable. Some of his work, not this, some of his work does make me physically ill to like watch um, this. I laughed at, but it was horrifying. And it's all I could think was, it was just this like very weird, uncanny Valley. Something's wrong. That's my professional art 
critique of this? I'm so glad because I never would have been able to say any of that because all I wrote was I literally never hated anything more in my life. <laughs> it's It's been a really long time since I felt that uncomfortable. That I, is his I work. Didn't, I, didn't, I didn't want to watch the whole thing. I got a minute into it. And I, I was didn't. Like, even with that, Sorry. Even you guys without, didn't watch the, watch the whole, whole thing? thing? I didn't. Wow. I, I mean, I did, but I like really had to force myself. It made my skin crawl. It really, really made me uncomfortable. And I did not want to watch it. I watched it again before we did this, like right before, because I wanted it to be fresh. I'm really and glad I knew that someone it. else would have something more to say about it where I would be useless. So like, I really love that you guys are having a reaction. This is part of the art. I, I don't even think I've articulated my thoughts on this other than like I began at what the fuck and I ended at I didn't enjoy that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that that was the long and short of it. I absolutely hated it. Um, but at the same time, I now am super interested to go back and watch some of his other stuff. Yeah, now um, I need to look it up. It's, it's not necessarily a feeling I hate. It's a feeling I've never really experienced. Um, yes. And now that I have that feeling, I'm really interested to like have it again. Yeah. And that's what his art, <laughs> no one is out there saying, I don't know, maybe some really fucked up people are out there saying, this is beautiful. No. Um, what you're <laughs> experiencing is exactly why he has stayed so relevant. Um, if you are familiar with Spring Breakers with Selena Gomez, James Franco, Mm-hmm. Um, that is probably his most, I think that's his co- most commercially successful movie. That's probably his most like beautiful film in the way that it took a lot of neons from, um, that time period. Cause it came out around the same time as nerve and that like technology adventure, uh, dark, but like neon colors was a thing, but the subject matter is like where you get the fucked upness. Um, and a lot of his other stuff, the, subject matter is still super fucked up but the imagery is like like i said like some scenes of like gummo um make me physically ill and other people feel the same way like it's it's very hard to watch and digest it's it is it's not digestible it's not digestible and that's exactly the feeling people get with him so i thought it was really interesting that they worked as soon as i saw that they did a video with harmony corinne that's why i included things in our notes because like this is not an accident and it's not random and I couldn't find why it happened (sighs) really interesting that it did so many parts of the yeah I mean it was fucked up to watch I had a really hard time my first watch figuring out who was real yeah yeah my mind was like what is happening that's called the uncanny valley when our brains see something that is so close to being human but our brains are like that's not human. Something's wrong. Something's wrong. That's not human. And that's that uncomfortable feeling you get. That's called the uncanny valley. They did it. It was hard. That's a really good way of putting it. Well, you're like, this is, this is another human. No, it's not. No, it's not. Why, why isn't it? But why, what am I? That's what your brain's doing. Yeah. The only thing that got me through what, and mind you, it's only what, three and a half minutes. The only thing that got me. me through the video was when I finally, I thought they were the big baby at first. It took I me did a while. And then like you realize. Once I finally figured out which ones they were, the only thing that got me through the video was just like watching their deadpan expressions. Cause that yes, was kind yes. of funny. 
but then I like I took off my tunnel vision for like one brief second and then saw like this suddenly plastic and lifeless thing holding them. You see it more and in Patrick like that, Carney's mask. Yeah. You start made, you were like, oh no, it made, it's it not made me real. Squirm. It yeah. made me squirm and I hated it. You had the experience he wanted you to have. Is is he controversial because of the way that like this made us feel? Yeah, and a lot of his work is his his other movies can get into subjects that are just like so fucked up. He he makes a lot of like younger kid characters that are like fucked up. So it's but all of his stuff, the colors, the uh, the weirdness, like it's all that's all him, all him to a T. But he's also a painter and a like a skateboarder, very well known skateboarder, and like he's a weird guy all around. He's just always doing a bunch of shit. Um, but he got banned off the late night show because he was like on drugs. Um, at that point, he was heavy into drugs. And uh, rumor has it that he was going through Meryl Streep's purse backstage. Hey, I did. I did find an article about that. <laughs> Not a person you want to fuck with. David Letterman. But yeah, he's a weird guy. After that happened, he took like eight years off and just like lived in the backwoods. He says he just like shot guns in the backwoods and then came back and did some more art love that this is no. where el camino brought us yes yeah wow but why so think about it why the fuck would they work with him it wasn't even spring breakers was still two years away at this point that's my my big question if i could ask them a question at this point I'd be like, why the fuck how did that work out that you worked with harmony corinne but they, the interview that Dan Auerbach gave, it was all written, so it was hard to tell. Kind of sounded like they were not disgusted with him, but I mean, they called themselves indulgent and they were like, we don't know where this is going to go. And it took a while because this was with MTV and they ended up releasing the official video and MTV, like people had heard that they were working with Harmony Corinne and one shot got released of like them as the babies and stuff and everyone was like what is this so they had to talk about it but they didn't want to so i don't know how and why it ended up ultimately getting released but at first they were like we we're probably not gonna because they probably, probably had a fucking crisis after he made him do them do all this weird shit and then saw it edited back like, yeah and like they were probably, probably like different to be in character see yourself and then see yeah. it yeah yeah there's your lesson in contemporary art for tonight Okay. Um, so we talked about gold on the ceiling. Number three. Number four was our gem, Little Black Submarines. Number five is Moneymaker. See, this is the song that I thought of as a stripper. And then I thought about I, that. Mm. Yes. And I was like, I don't know if I want to pin this on a stripper. Um, and then I was like, is this related to the man by the killers? Which I know both of you are very familiar with this song. Is this from a woman's perspective or about a woman that's being the man mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. oh that's a good perspective to have i definitely that's yeah. so funny that you said the stripper thing because i said okay so if we go back to my strip club fantasy <laughs> this is another strip club scenario yes, yes it does <laughs> which is just like you said like it's the first thing that you get you're just like oh money maker like shake your money maker like make money make it rain like stripper so well, in the first two lines, we get, oh, she wants milk and honey. Oh, she wants filthy money. Right. Yeah. yeah. I think, though, like what this is saying, because like when you're 
greedy about something, money, greed, right? And I kind of see this female character, someone who's doing a lot of taking and being greedy about like the emotional damage that they're causing this person, like kind of unintentionally, I think. But that's sort of where my brain went was like, oh, this is like somebody who's like just taking from from him. I also agree with that. Like bleeding him dry, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But I kind of like her still. And that's where, like I was saying earlier, I don't hate the protagonist. I don't think you're supposed to like you're supposed to be. I don't know. Something about it. I kind of. Yeah. Think she's right, or I don't know. I no, I, no, dig no. It. I totally understand that. I think all too often do we get a female perspective of them saying, "Oh, you know, I'm perfect, like a good girl," and this man fucked me over. Right. Right. It's like no, it could go both I ways. Him over. What did yeah. you do? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and she's I like kind that. of owning it, and I like it. Yeah. 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 The power is in her hands, and I think that's cool because we often just give the power to to male figures in media and music. And so I agree with you. I agree with you there. I can see that for sure. Um, I think this is a good song too. Like I really do enjoy it musically. It is kind of similar to Dead and Gone where you're getting like a, it's going down a little bit and it's a little bit of a filler, but I do still really enjoy like the Southern parts that are peppered into this song like the um like that that like a whammy yeah whammy bar a whammy bar um <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah it's i liked it that's it that's all it's, it's definitely like really grungy compared to some of the other stuff um yeah it is a really cool change of pace uh, a lot like dead and gone um i really enjoy the chorus on this one like it's just i think it's like really creatively done and for mm-hmm. a down song to keep it from being a filler i think you have to get a little creative and i think they did a really good job of doing that um the biggest note i had about the song is if i ever get into a bar fight this is the song <laughs> that i want playing in my head <laughs> like, so slow like, now well, like as the chorus is playing, like everything slows down. You see the glass okay, going like, slow motion yeah. as it smashes. It's a good video yeah. concept. Great I video like concept. That. Yeah, yeah. So it's like a really dirty dive bar. That song yeah. is playing on the jukebox. Yeah. A table flips and there's glass flying. Like that's that's exactly what I picture when I hear I love this song that. as a bar as a bar fight. I love that. They and they have quick and dirties rather than fillers. That's true. Because it's a quick and dirty. A quick and dirty. Just get it done. Just get it done. That's a really good way of putting it. Well, number six is Run Right Back. The guitar starting off and threading through the song. I really Mm -hmm. like that. That like I I had the same note. That rhythm guitar line is really, really nice. It's very good. It's Um, another example of women being written in rock that I don't hate the woman. Yeah. I love the line, she's the worst thing that I've been addicted to. Yes. It's so smart. It's so good. Yeah. I love a line like that, you know? I um, I actually really enjoyed kind of like the two different guitar parts in the song. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah. Like, like you said, like that, that like kind of high guitar in the back. I feel like that's kind of the only time we ever hear it on the album. Yeah. That, it's that, lost. Like, yeah. We're like, that's at the top. Like that's at the forefront, that kind of like high strung guitar. And but then in the back, you've still got like that really dirty bass line. Don't, um, don't, don't, yeah, yeah. And I feel like those 
they, they fit just like perfectly next to each other for me. Yeah. Um, and I, I, it just like gives me a level of texture that a yes. lot of that, like nothing else on the album gives me this texture. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes it this new and this different. I literally see that guitar. Like I visually see that, that beginning whiny guitar as a red thread through a chaos of cluster. Mm. I like that. That makes mm-hmm. me like, I literally it's, see that. It's in my mind's eye. Yeah. yeah. I like it's it. A good one. Mm-hmm. Um, number seven is sister. I love this song. It was almost my gem. Wow. It has a cool groove. Yeah. I it's, love it's it. A little bit slower. Yeah. Um, and one of the things I had written for this one is like speed doesn't necessarily mean power and aggression. Yes. Like this, this very is right. a very, this is a very punchy and kind of aggressive song. Like it is. Lot, I, I feel like their guitar just kind of evokes a sort of aggression wherever it is, but this is definitely slower than most of the other stuff. And it's still uh, just as powerful. And I think like putting a power riff and slowing it down is a really cool concept. And that's what they did here. Mm-hmm. And it kind of just puts it into a different perspective. And it, it takes that, that same guitar you're getting everywhere else and that same power. And it's just kind of shifting it a little bit to see what you think of it one of the cooler parts of the album is the vocals for me. Mm-hmm. And this is a song that really like the chorus is very harmonic. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Like it almost sounds like he has like a church choir singing behind him. Yeah. Yes. Um, it had a very yes. spiritual yeah. sound to it. I mean, sister, yeah. sister. And exactly. Yeah. And I, I feel yeah. like that was the perfect time to add that little bit of, again, like I'll use the word texture, the perfect time to add that where you took the power and slowed it down. Yeah, and I thought the vocals on this song were better than any other song on the album. Yeah. Oof. Yeah, standout song. Couldn't have said it better. That's all. Oh, I interesting thing about the song, though, that I had to, like, I started listening to the beginning, and then I, like, started over again, because I was like, what does this remind me of? <laughs> if you slowed down the guitar to this song, it would be Andy, You're a Star by The Killers. <gasps> So earlier when you made a killer's reference, I was like, wait, wait to get to sister. Ooh, that's good. <laughs> so listen to that after because I was like, oh my God. And then I listened to the song and I was like, oh, it's totally it. Wow, and it's really giving so you the same vibe, right? Yes. Like you're oh, still, yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, damn. Well, I'm anxious to talk about number eight too then because the start of this song is the exact guitar riff from Cherub Rock by the Smashing Pumpkins. Oh, it I is, did not pick up on I'm that. I'm going to play it for Ugh. you because it is so... I know you hate the Smashing Pumpkins. We saw the Smashing Pumpkins. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm sure. Yeah, they, they, yeah. they sucked. Yeah. They sucked so bad. No, I fucking hate the Smashing Pumpkins. Yeah, they, they were awful. Okay, so that's Hell of okay. a Season. Just you fucking wait. That's so weird. Has Billy Corgan not sued the fuck out of that? I'm like, (laughs) very interesting. It's like they just borrowed that that riff. Oh yeah. So I just had to point that out. Um, This is a good song. I saw this as like a continuation from Sister. Obviously, it's picks up a little bit, um, but I liked it. It's definitely like. 
sort of like the the end well yeah it's sort of like the end of the relationship but the look back yeah like like that was the season season. yeah yeah I do love it's, the title, but, Hell of a Season. I think that's great. Like that, yeah, that phrase. it's pretty awesome. For me, it's definitely like like a quick and dirty, like we said. Yeah. Yep. Um, like it's it's a it's not a whole lot. There's no real like power riffs going on. It's kind of a toned down verse. The chorus goes up a little bit, but a kind of like laid back a little bit. I think it's really cool that it kind of uh, showcases the drums a little bit. Where like we mm-hmm. haven't really gotten that since the very 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 opening. Yeah. yeah, where we noticed the drums. Yeah, um, yeah, um, and I, I think this is probably the part on the album where Patrick Carney actually gets to do something creative at the forefront. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, like the the drums carry that song. That's not something that we really get. Those that's kind of like hidden behind everything else for a lot of this record. That's true. Um, this this song specifically, you hear like loud and clear. That's a that's a high hat. Um, and it's louder than everything else, which is really cool. We're not. <laughs> and we can move on to number nine, which is Stop, Stop. Stop, Stop. This, this um, is stop. a really cool song. It's a great song. I actually song. almost picked this as my gem. Oh, I love it. So you tear me all apart, then act so warm, like being cooled by the rain and the eye of the storm. So good. Yeah. Yes, that's, cool. that's really good. That immediately caught my attention that like bridge um yeah the song made me think so much like if they were going to make a music video about it i imagine have you ever seen oceans 11 they're basically basically i just imagine like a heist and they're like planning this like situation and i just i'm like this would be the perfect background music to someone like planting spyware in a bank or something isn't it really interesting how like our first thoughts of a lot of their music is how well it would go to something, how well it yeah. would sound to oh, yeah. something. Yeah. But, yeah. And it's really interesting because a lot of the stuff that they did up until 2010, what people knew of them was the stuff they licensed out and the uh, stuff that was licensed. a soundtrack for stuff. Like the, the music that they make just fits really well into a lot of media. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's interesting that they haven't really made these pieces for themselves right like all of their official videos are all um live footage they've Mm -hmm. never we don't know what the the original lonely boy video looked like and now i'm dying because i love to see a cinematic piece that they like a treatment that they made or that was shopped to them and they agreed to Uh for a music video i I definitely encourage you to watch their new videos because that's exactly what they're doing Oh, oh cool. Okay, cool. They're, they're having more fun. They're more like cinematic pieces instead of like live performances. Okay. They're like, they're just having fun at this point. And that's what I yeah. want out of this. So I'm glad they got there. Yeah. But so much of this yeah. would work for things like that. The stripper could yeah. be hacking the banks. Fuck this yeah. could be a multi-series thing. <laughs> um, 10 is Nova Baby. This is, a, this is an okay one. This was it's the okay. only one I went... This might be a filler for me. Yeah. This is a lighter sound than the others. So it kind of didn't fit for me. And it has two lines that are so 2011. It hurt me. The first one is that party dress is such a mess. Mm. 303 could have written that. Um, And the second one is elevator ladies in in the parking lots, which made me think of death cab for cutie. Oh, yeah. It's totally a death cab line. I can totally see that death cab line. Yeah. 
I do like the line in the song that says, I'm, I'm falling hard for every yard of the dream you sold me. Yes. I liked that too. I like that a lot. It's nefarious. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this was definitely like, I, I get what you were saying. It it might be a failure. It's like right on that line of like quick and it's still a quick and dirty for me because I really enjoy the drums here. Um, I respect that. And I really like how the guitar is kind of toned back and we get to listen to those like higher vocals that we don't get from Dan. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot like Stop Stop where it's like, like Dan has like a really, really high voice in that song um but like we like, just like the, that extra thing that we don't get from him that we get to see like even if it's just briefly on this one song so like when i listen to this one song i, I just focus on him even the title nova baby makes me think of i think it makes it's me think weird. of supernova champagne champagne supernova and that champagne i'm like thinking of a oasis that's <laughs> funny it's, it's screwing me up but i don't like that i'm like nova mm-hmm. baby this doesn't what are we why yeah Yeah. i think it's i think it's a cool name but i don't i just don't get it not for this yeah it does it just doesn't fit yeah i mean with that being said though and i think i can say that for any song on this entire record if any of these songs ever come up on my shuffle i don't skip them oh Mm -hmm. no skips i love wow when i when i listen to this album all the way through i don't skip anything i listen to every song Wow. Wow. Um, what do we think about the closer? Mind eraser. Mind mind eraser? Mind, mind eraser. eraser. I'm tired. <laughs> mind eraser. I think it was good because it, it's the end, but he does he like clearly doesn't want it to be. Yeah. And I like that it didn't wrap up in a pretty bow. Um, mm-hmm. but I also like that there is a little bit of an ending point. Um to throw another thread back, this album reminds me thematically a little bit of against the current's past lives where we see that. Kind of yeah. decided that yeah like there was no definitive end right so this this reminds me of that like i kind of feel i'm in the same headspace getting to the end of this album that i did at that album yeah yeah for for me the the standout lyric on the entire record for me was don't let it be over mm-hmm. because ah. it's, it's this whole story and like we've seen it a million times where it's like something didn't work and you're looking back at it and like that's always the thought is don't let it be over yeah sometimes no matter how bad it was exactly you try you try to find ways to rationalize and to not let it be over and like he's clearly at that point and like that's just like that one line that he keeps saying is just like him not being done Mm mm-hmm and like I understood that more. I thought it was like more on the nose than anything else he says here. It's yeah. the most honest. Everything, everything else is like clouds covering barbed wire and gold on the ceiling and um a lot of she's the worst thing I'm addicted like, to. <laughs> exactly. Like those really metaphorical things, but then it's just like don't let it be over. Yeah. Like it's a desperate it's, and it's like a clinging. desperate plea. He's clinging, yeah. he's grasping. And I think yeah. that's that's a really cool way to end it. Like everybody knows it's over, but him. Yeah. And, still... and I feel like that's been the whole album, though, because there's a line. If we want to kick back to Little Black Submarines, there's a line that a lot of people on the internet grabbed onto in that same way that everyone knows it's over, but him. Um, 
it says, I should have seen it glow, but everybody knows that a broken heart is blind. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That yeah. is, that is the theme of this album, right? That's yeah. It. And I, I think it's really cool to just like bring it back one more time and be so, so blatant about it. Like if yeah. you didn't know what it was before, like it, like you said, it is a breakup album. And I, like, I've been listening to this album for a very long time. I never realized that until I really went back and looked at it. That one line that he just keeps saying, I think just like really did it for me where I was like, wow, okay. And so I feel like, I feel like in that way, him not being done is the perfect time to end it. It's just always unresolved. Um, yeah, exactly. And I think uh, musically we get it resolved um, because he isn't resolved. Yeah. yeah. Well, on that note, the title is literally mind eraser and reading through the lyrics and listening to it and really thinking about it made me think about eternal sunshine of the spotless mind, yeah. which I've referenced in various like every episode. I always find a link. I don't think you've seen this movie, Matt. You really should, especially since you love movies. This is yes, one of should. our favorite movies. Um, but it's, it, it it's the exact, this song the same idea the movie yeah. yeah yeah but it's interesting that it's named mind eraser and he makes a reference at one point that is like you know i have to erase my mind to not think about this that's the only way i'd get through this right um but then you're at the same time you're like don't let it be over you're like it's like a push and pull within yourself even though there's nothing to fight but you're still fighting yourself i don't know it made me think of that movie big time yeah, no, no, I think it's just that concept of like, like you said, the only way that it's over for him is if it never happened. It's not over because he can't let it go. It's over. It's not over because he doesn't want to let it go. Perfect start to the album. Perfect end of the album. Yes. Yes. Everything, everything comes full circle. And it's, it's really interesting to see it as like, view it as one whole body. I don't really know if I ever have before view it as one that's whole body fun about exactly, this. exactly like where he started yeah where he ended like everything like it's it's going badly he he knows that it's bad that he keeps going after her she's she, like she continues to rip his heart out of his chest and he just can't stop and he keeps going back and he knows it's a bad idea and then when it is over he just like it can't be over he can't mm -hmm. let it be over um, and it's just like continuing to to cling and to grasp and to claw, but it just just like everything else, the album ends and it's over. Yeah, yeah. It's I love. I've been in situations like this so many times, Matt. Where like I'm like, oh man, I love this album, and you know, I go through and I really deconstruct it, and I'm looking at it from such a different perspective than I ever have before, and I come. And like, we, we talk about it and I'm like blown away by what I've discovered. And now I bet like you will, you've always had an appreciation and an affinity, an affinity for this album. You will now appreciate it so much more when you listen to it. Cause you're going to know the lyrics in and out. You're going to be like, oh yeah, like this is that storyline. Like it's so crazy how it changes and transforms. Mm-hmm. It, but it's such a cool experience and I've like really enjoyed just listening and watching your process. Yes. Yeah. It's been really cool. Because yeah. I think it's fun to look at it on our own and kind of do that research. But I think one of the most gratifying parts of this whole podcast project 
is bringing it back and talking about it out loud with other people. And it's been so interesting to talk about this with you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's like, I mean, one of the reasons I've always liked this record is just because like it didn't matter what they were saying. Like it just kicked ass and it was powerful and it was heavy and it was, it was like really, really, really a one top tier rock. And I didn't care what they were saying. And then like when we kind of looked at it and I looked at it as a whole body, because like like everybody knows Lonely Boy, everybody knows Golden in the Ceiling, everybody knows the singles. Everybody always knows the singles. And when we kind of look at those quick and dirties and we look at those gems and you look at everything and it puts everything into a new context. We did it. We did it. Oh. Thank you, Matt. Yeah, thank you so much. Seriously. So much for having me on. It was like a really quick... Everybody should do this with their favorite music. Yeah, we're trying. We're trying. It literally it puts it in such a different, such a different like lens. It's such a paradigm shift. Mm-hmm. Like this, like this music that I've listened to for so long now is no longer just like this silly rock music. Like, like Brian Evans calls it like shit kicking music. It's no longer <laughs> just like it's now like a man pining after something he's never gonna have. And it, it ruins him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and 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 the, that guy is just dancing over it the whole time. Um, yeah. So Sorry. it kind of just take it takes off this whole new thing. And I think if people do this with their favorite music, I think it's going to make them like it more because I definitely like this album more now that I've done this. Wow. Music is so goddamn cool. Yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah, like, it, is. it really is. <laughs> that was the best way to end this. <laughs> ah. So happy. Yes. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for this. It, oh like, my it God. Just you are so welcome. It was so awesome. Thanks for listening to Let's Talk Records. Audio engineering is by Emily McLeod and graphics are by Jen Evans.